This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This episode of Witching Hour is brought to you by The Tenth Co., creators of science-backed supplements for mothers by a mother. Hello and welcome to Witching Hour, the podcast that looks at what's exciting, delighting, intriguing and frustrating us when it comes to making work, work. I'm Lucinda. And I'm Loz. As per, I've got a little good news story that I've found today. Where do you get them from? Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing my research skills over here. (laughs) Three women created a line of hygienic hijabs for Muslim healthcare workers. Reason I found this so interesting is I'd never actually thought about it. So there's an an image that goes with it, which I think is quite powerful. There's such a large portion of Muslim women that do work in healthcare and to not have even thought about it. Like I just didn't even cross my mind. Same. I was like, wow, what a great story. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Very good. So that's what we're kicking things off with today. Today, is it wrong to admit how much you earn? The strange but effective way I relieved my mom rage. Goodbye, girl boss. Hello, snail girl. And your answers to our questions on breastfeeding and returning to work. Is it wrong to admit how much you earn? This week I did just that and it raised all sorts of complicated feelings. Farah Storr, who is an ex-magazine editor and the head of UK partnerships at Substack, which is basically an online magazine business, has her own Substack called Things Worth Knowing. And after a few years, she's earning a really great income from it, like a proper salary, which she's recently started sharing online. She felt uncomfortable the second she shared it and a friend even messaged her and said, are you sure you want to be sharing this stuff? Because the optics of this might not sit well with everyone. I feel like people should keep their opinions to themselves, but whatever. Yeah, I think we're going to agree to disagree on this one. No, but I mean like as if you'd message your friend and feel like you shouldn't be doing this. No, but yeah, I mean I would. I wouldn't say that, but I'd be like, hey, There's a particular musing, she says, that I want to quote. The point is, I have been thinking about money all weekend and why we still feel queasy about talking through such things. We compare the state of our relationships without shame. We feel completely at ease measuring up one another's bodies. And we think nothing of disclosing intimate details about our health and our sex lives. But money, now that's a step too far. She goes on to talk about different times in her life where she's earned more and less than the people around her and how society as a whole shuts off from talking about money. And then she makes what I think of as her most important point of all. But when we stop talking about money, we also risk an opportunity to help others understand their value. I learned this a few years back when I almost took a job in America, that is, until I turned to an older editor who had worked in the States some years previous. Not only was the offer far below the market value, she told me, it was far below my value. What's more, accepting such a low offer would open the gates for all the others who followed to expect the same. I declined the job. Loz, what's your thoughts and feelings on talking about money with friends? Don't do it. Why? I think there's a time and place to have discussions around money. I don't know whether, as in, look, the example that you gave I think that's okay if you're saying, hey, what's a benchmark for this wage or do you know other people that have worked in this industry? To be real, I think these days you can find out a lot of that yourself online. There's stacks of organizations that do that. Glassdoor. Yeah, yeah, I think it's one of them. Um, 
But when it comes to discussing your wage with colleagues or friends, I haven't seen a lot of examples that have been positive mm. off do the back neg- of that. Do you have a negative one to share with us? I don't know if I've got a negative one. Actually, yeah, you know what? I do. So a girlfriend of mine um, for my very first role was hiring somebody else within that role and there's a band, right? There was a bracket of what you could fall in and – I obviously was at the lower end of that bracket because it was my first role. But the person that she was hiring, she told me how much they were being offered and they had the same experiences of experience as me. Was it a male or a female? It was actually a female. Sometimes I think when you know what other people are on and I'm not saying that they're gloating about it, but let's just say they're like, oh, this is what I'm on, you know, and it's just an honest conversation. Mm. But you are like, God, I'm doing a lot more of your work. But wouldn't that make you do something about it? I think the negative would be that there's a lot of underlying things that come with wage and experience. So, for example, I think sometimes it can put women in a situation where you're comparing, you're not comparing apples with apples. You might think you are, but that person could be six years older than you and, yeah, okay, maybe you're doing a similar role, but their experience entitles them to be paid more. Yeah, but if someone had six years more experience than me, I wouldn't expect to be paid the same amount. But I think you would. I think sometimes when you're in that situation, I think sometimes when you're in that situation, you don't view it like that. It feels like you're undervalued, like you don't take into consideration the whole. Oh, yeah, I disagree with that. If someone was way ahead of me or they'd been there a lot longer. But if they were doing the exact same role, if you had the same title and the same role, how would you feel if they were like, oh, I'm paid 10 grand more than you? If they'd been working for six years longer than me, I'd be okay with it because I'd assume that they had a bit more responsibility. See, I wouldn't. But then wouldn't you go for more money then? Why would it be a negative to know that? I think you would ask for more money. Yeah. But I think the tricky part comes when you may not get it. Yeah, and then you leave and you find somewhere that values you more. A lot of people don't though. A lot of people stay with that oh, real negative I really experience. Disagree with you on this. This yeah. is our first fight. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see a negative in knowing like, is it better to just go ahead in life earning less and being like, everyone values me? La, 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 la. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I just don't know if a conversation around your wage with your friends yeah. or colleagues is one that needs to be had. Do I think you could have it with your manager mm. if you're concerned about your wage? Absolutely. Do I think you should do your research? For sure. But I don't think. But when I got discussing my, your wage with everybody is the answer. But when I got my most recent pay rise, it was confidential. So then when I heard that someone got a better pay rise than me, I wasn't allowed to do anything with that anyway. Like I, my manager wouldn't have told me because it's confidential. Yes. Yeah, but then how did that make you feel? I definitely felt a bit undervalued, but that person had also spent ages in a bubble. So I knew that they literally had moved away up into a bubble, like a sports bubble during COVID. And I was like, they literally literally gave away their life for three months. So I was like, I get it. Oh, see, I my, I just don't think I would get that. I mean, that might be part of the reason that I didn't go back to my job after that leave. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I still don't see the negative even if I was undervalued because then I'd be like, okay, why am I busting my guts in this job that's not paying me as well as it is my colleagues? I also think it can create a competitive nature and a bit of a toxic culture if it isn't framed in the right way. So if people are talking about their wages to colleagues, I, I think it can depend on the way that it's said. Mm. And I also think sadly, and I don't agree with this, mm. but I think sometimes what happens, and it could be, there's I don't have research to back it up. I wish I 
bloody done more planning. Um, but sometimes what happens is that if you're in an organization for a long time, mm. your wage kind of goes up incrementally. Oh, you are like just literally foreseeing something that I'm about to share from someone that slid into our DMs. Yeah, but if you move organizations and which I'm, you're a big advocate I'm of. I'm a massive advocate of, particularly That's why I'm if really you're young. That you're that you're like this about talking about money. Because you've been so strategic in earning more money in your career. Yeah, I have, but I don't think it's something that I've I think it's like a personal conquest. It's not yeah. like I'm comparing myself against others. Yeah. Like it's But how do you set that benchmark mark, I guess, if you don't know what other people because it's relative, as in I know I say this in everything, yeah. it's relative. Like I have a money goal that yeah. I want to achieve, whether that's through like selling things on Facebook Marketplace or <laughs> podcasting or working in a corporate role, like yeah. whatever that might look like. I might have eight different income, inverted commas, streams. Yeah. Um, and I think everybody can do that. You can sell stuff on eBay, as in it doesn't necessarily just have to be mm. from your job, yeah. your working nine to five job. Mm. But – I think it's self-competitiveness. I'm like, okay, this yeah. is what I would like to earn to factor for the following expenses and lifestyle. This is mm. what I would like to save. Like I don't – I just don't see the good in having that level of competition between colleagues and yeah. friends. I think it's great to benchmark it against industry standard. Mm. Absolutely. Um, but I also think like going back to what I said before, there's a very big difference if you've been with an organisation for a long time and I do think it is sad sometimes. I think you can be a bit undervalued. You can stay yes. there for so long that people are like, oh, Lou's so great. She's, she's happy and, and maybe it works for you or maybe it doesn't. Whereas if you'd moved, you have the opportunity mostly like the biggest benefit lies in you going to that new organisation and saying, this is what I'm on. I'm not moving for any less than that. Mm. So then what would your money conversation with a friend look like? I think it would be more generic about, encouraging them to go for what they want yeah. but not necessarily telling them what I'm on. Yeah. But is that because you've earned more than your friends in the past and you're worried about them resenting you? Um, Not necessarily. I think I started work really young. Mm. So I was in the workplace really early while studying. So naturally like when you're earning $35,000, when you're 19, it feels like a big amount of money. But yeah. I was doing uni and working at the same time. Mm. So I probably had more experience than when my friends started work because they started work when they finished uni. I do wonder though if maybe your discomfort sits in being one of the people that has gone for pay rises and earned more and my lack of discomfort sits with the fact that I am on the lower side. Do you think maybe? Maybe there's some guilt attached at your end that you don't want your friend to come to you and realise that you earn more? Like is that Maybe. Yeah, I wonder. It could be. If I did some soul searching, yeah. potentially. But has I anyone don't ever know. made you feel uncomfortable about how much money you earn if you have told them? I think I've always given a bracket, but I don't yes. think I've ever okay. been completely honest yeah, about it. Because you obviously what I just earned. think it needs to be slightly private. Yeah, I do. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm actually really surprised by this, but I like it. I do think there'd be a time and a place, like there'd be certain friends that you know might be competitive in a certain way where it would turn toxic or maybe there's certain colleagues that you're not, you don't have a really great relationship with. I do think in those cases, I understand what you're saying, but I do think across the board, friends need to talk about how much they're. I encourage women to benchmark their wages. And I, mm. to be honest, I always encourage people to go for more than what they think they're worth. As in, I think your value is your value, yep. but I think what happens you don't a lot want to of get time, into the nitty gritty of it. No, but I think what happens a lot of time with women is like they genuinely are so uncomfortable saying mm 
this is the value I bring. This is what I'm worth. And then the minute you don't say anything, you just accept what you're given. Mm. And the likelihood is you're worth more. Mm. But you don't ask. You don't put it on the table. Yeah. But doesn't that come back to asking what other people are earning? Or do you think they're two separate conversations? I think they're separate conversations. I honestly think you should do your research at a general level. I don't think you should be getting stuck on a figure Mm. or a specific amount that somebody else is earning. Is your main deterrence towards it the idea that you're comparing yourself too closely with other people? I think so. And I think there's so many factors that play into that. Like even Lou, you and I could have the exact same skill set, Mm. um, the exact same experience, but perhaps – you're more strategic or you have a different way of thinking that's more beneficial to that business mm. than the way that I think. Mm. Or maybe your demeanor is more well-suited to that team and they feel like you would be able to better lead that team. That's really like, interesting. I think there's variances there's in more to it. Yeah. I'll pay that. That was a good, healthy debate. <laughs> I love it. I'm sorry. No, I lo- I, I've learned right. something. <laughs> You've opened my mind. I feel like you've opened my eyes. How much do you earn? How much are you getting paid of this sponsorship compared to me? (laughs) (laughs) Of course I took this to the streets. We know these streets are digital. I love the way that you say these streets. (laughs) It's thing. So I took this to a poll on Instagram. What percentage of people do you think said that they do talk about money Um, and how much they earn? Oh, I'd say low. So maybe like 25%. So 46% say they do talk about how much they earn. 54% don't. So pretty even, pretty 50-50. Of those that said yes, who do you think that they speak to more about money, their friends or their family? Oh, their friends. Their family. So really? 53% go to their family, 31% friends, 5% colleagues, which yeah. I think so goes back to – I think to, that's kind of what I was saying. Yeah, like, yeah. I can understand from that side of things. Yeah. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not surprised with family actually because mm. I think a lot of the time when I've moved careers, I, I like to talk through like – the interview process and I actually like to go through it with my dad and be Mm. like, dad, ask me a question like, and he'll kind of pep me up and be like, well, what's your experience? Like what Mm. value would you add? Why do you deserve it more than somebody else? Mm. So it makes me think outside the box. So maybe, yeah, family is a big one. And then the last question I asked before I asked more broadly about their advice or feelings around it was does talking about money make you feel uncomfortable? How many percent, (laughs) what percent do you think said yes? After our conversation, maybe it's high. Um, Maybe 60. So 47% said yes, 36% said depends on the day. So you could argue that obviously that yes is higher. Yeah. Only only 18% of people don't feel uncomfortable talking about money, which I'm not surprised by. So then I asked for any stories related to talking about money. Yep. So one person said, made me realise I was being severely underpaid in a male-dominated workplace. So that's a good example. Mm-hmm. Learned my male equivalents. I paid at least 10% more. Same experience and level. I always ask peers and mentors for guidance with salary. Don't be embarrassed. It's your livelihood. Talking about it with colleagues, realised I got less of a raise. Didn't know the salary per se, but knew that I got less percentage raise. Yeah. But because it's meant to be confidential info, I couldn't do anything about it. That's See, a tricky one. that I don't mind. If you're like, oh... Feel like, oh, did everyone get a 5% pay rise or mm. did everyone get a 2%? When you're talking about non-specific financial yeah, measures, so I like don't mind that. Yeah, mm. benchmarking. I really, I'm all for what that. What do you do with that though? I think actually my friend then found that now it, it's not confidential to then discuss that with your manager. I think you're, al- I think now you're allowed to talk about it with your 
colleagues. I think it would depend on the workplace. Yeah, but I think there might be some sort of watchdog. We'll have to see if we can find it and maybe link it in the show notes. I think there's actually some sort of watchdog rule now where it can't be Ah, But then I suppose I was just backtracking on what I said though. I suppose the other thing about that though is if you got paid a significant amount more than me mm. and you only got a 1% pay rise yes. but then I got paid a shitload less than you and I got yeah. a 5% pay rise. Yeah. How does that conversation play exactly. out in everybody's minds? Because you don't actually even know what exactly their like is in comparison yours. to what. Yeah, that's a really good point. Once someone knew, oh, this is you're gonna. This is really playing to your oh, hand here. Tell me. Once someone knew my income, they wouldn't pay back money they owed. Oh, that's sickening. That is sickening. I hate that. I really. So hate they it. thought that because that person earned a decent amount that they could afford to pay for their drinks. I think it was because then I then had a conversation with this person in my DMs. That's terrible. That's yucky. I know feminism is about equality, not about women winning over men. But given how many women are paid less than men, mm-hmm. I do like this win. I found out my male colleague in the same role was getting paid significantly less than me. Of course, that's not something I want to always be the case. Yeah. But at least it's a bloody pleasant surprise because I was thinking I was going to read the other way around. Yeah. This one also plays into your hand. Mostly, I find what comes up is other people's judgment, justification and values. Yeah. It can be murky waters. I'm going to give you that one. Yeah, sometimes. Mm. I I appreciate what you're saying. I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. I I think it's about knowing your audience, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. One more I'm going to share. Sharing what I earn has helped countless friends get pay rises in the same and different businesses. There's pros and cons, isn't there? You need to know your audience. You need to know your audience and it's so it's so dependent on mm. so many yes. factors like your personality, mm. the way you can sell yourself, yes. the way you can influence others, your leadership style. Like these aren't tangible you've skills. Actually, you've turned me – like I understand your side more now. Yeah. Like if someone has better rapport, for example, with their clients. It, well, it depends on the job. Yeah. If you're going for a job as a swimming teacher, for example, yeah. right, you're both qualified in your mm. bronze medallion, you're both a speedy in the pool, but one of those teachers works really well with autistic children yes. and has an innate or ability like to like, or yeah, or like is that. just so nurturing and like maybe has a cousin that they've worked with before. They've got skills, unfortunately, mm, yeah. that you do not, even though you've got the same qualifications, mm. like it's very different. Okay. So apply some nuance and know your audience. I think so. The strange but effective way I relieved my mom rage. I cannot say mom. M-O-M without saying My mum rage. My mummy rage. I sat down and interviewed it and gently reparented myself in the process. This is a piece I found on the Oprah Daily site written by Minna Dubbin, an author who I will actually be interviewing soon on Ready or Not. So I'm interviewing her next month, which is exciting. But before we get into it, I want to know, Loz, do you find that you have the capacity to be an angrier person since motherhood? Oh, yeah. I'm so glad you said so. Oh, yeah. I could flip the bird at the drop of a hat. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, it's like I'm waiting. Yeah. It's a build up. Sometimes I have this. Festering. Yeah. I have this festering build up and I'm like, just come at me. You know, I'm ready. Go now. I will. (laughs) I'm ready. I will drop this ball on the ground. I often sense that people know. Yeah. And they're like, whoa. Step back. Yeah. (laughs) She's on a mission. Does your kids know? 
No, it's oh, more like if I'm at the supermarket with Sienna yeah. and I'm like, I've just been having one of those days and she's, yeah. I'm like stuffed. She's like, I want a grape, I want a grape. I'm like, babe, just eat the grapes. Like I don't yeah. give a shit. If someone came at me and was like, excuse me, you meant to pay for those two, I'd be like, fight me. <laughs> You'd be like. I'm ready. It's, it's ready. It's coming <laughs> yeah. up. So, but they never do. No, of course they wouldn't because they can see they the can rage see bubbling. <laughs> They're smart. So Minna opens with, mum rage is an anger so hot it is blinding. <laughs> I was terrified when mine showed up, at first in intermittent blips, then every month, every week, until my rage was a constant low-grade buzzing beneath my skin. I feel like she describes the feeling so well. Yeah. I consoled myself with excuses. It's the four-month sleep regression. It's the hormonal shift from weaning. But two years into motherhood, I was still slamming car doors, screaming at my partner outside Target <laughs> and working to keep my hands busy while the rage ripped through me. I had no excuses left. I feel like uh, she speaks to quite a few mother's souls in there. So she starts to see a therapist desperate to find a way to deal with the rage and keep a cool head with her kids. We've all had those moments where we fly off the handle in front of our kids. Yeah. And while I do believe we need to forgive ourselves from those, obviously it's not the way it we It just happens though. And I also think when you do parent, there's things that come up for you from mm. your own I mean, yes. this is a bit therapy talk, but from your own childhood that you're like. Yes, there's more to it. There's yeah, a there's lot to way it. more to it. So yeah. we do need to forgive ourselves, but at the same time, it doesn't feel great sometimes. It's horrible. I'm going to share something that I'm nervous to share because people are so judgmental. Go for it. Safe but space. Ray's like slap, just kept slapping me on the face the other day when he was in his <laughs> sleep suit. And we were only about a metre above the couch. Please know that. Yeah. But I ended up just dropping him on the couch. I was like, I actually can't. I actually can't deal with you. And my rage was so blinding because he just kept smacking me. And I was like, I just need to drop you on the couch. Luckily, he looked up and laughed and laughed at me. And I was like, oh, cool. We're good. We're good. Yeah. We're happy. You're good. But that was a moment where, yeah, I felt, We've, I felt Everyone has had a – I feel like any mum that turns around and says to you, no, that's never happened to me. Like, where you been, mate? Like, yeah. what's going on? Is your – Do you have seven is servants your kid in your the house? son of God? Like, yeah. what's going Must on be. here? Must yeah. Be. No. So then she quotes what her therapist said about it once she started seeing this therapist. When she connected the dots between the way I treat myself and my rage, it showed me that I needed to pull my rage close and see what else might be swimming around in there, which is exactly what you were just saying. Mm. I raged regularly, yet I was so afraid of my rage, so embarrassed by it, so ashamed of it. I didn't really know anything about it. So instead of disparaging and ignoring her rage, she starts to sit with it. She starts to get curious with it, as she says, and see where it might be coming from and how she might be able to help herself. Here's what she asked herself with some examples of how she answers the questions. So the first question is, where does it hurt? This question spears right to the vulnerability hiding beneath her wrath. When I rage, she says, I can't access my hurt places. By the time the anger train has left the station, I am miles away from my initial wounds of feeling disrespected, alone, powerless and not good enough. Second, what are you afraid of? When I rage at my kids for getting rowdy in their playroom or crossing a street without me, underneath my anger is usually fear that their bodies are going to get hurt. Yeah, so it's safety. Thirdly, what are you trying to protect? This can be related to the fear, but having different words can be useful in accessing the intimacies of rage. Sometimes there's something I hold sacred that I am afraid is at risk. 
It is often my time, non-parenting time, alone time, exercise time, writing time, time with a friend. I can totally understand oh, I hate that because yeah. it's like because you want to get out the door. I've had that when yes. I'm like, Sienna, get in the car. Yeah, get in yeah. the car. And she's like, yeah. la, 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 la. I'm yeah. like, hurry up! Like, yes. I just want to meet my girlfriend for a coffee. Yeah, I'm already late. I love you, but we've already done a lot this morning. Yeah, please get in the car. Yep. that one really hits home. And the last one, and perhaps the biggest one of all, what do you need? With my husband Paul, it often boils down to needing to feel like I'm not alone, that we are on a parenting team together, or that I'm being considered when he makes decisions. With the kids, my needs vary. I think that's a really big one too. Yeah. It's like what underneath all of that is not being met? Have you had too much time with your kids? Have you been overworking to only come home and the house is a mess? What actually yeah. is underneath it all? Really interesting questions that I would never have thought of. She then zeroes in on more specific questions in search for more clues as to when the rage strikes. This felt like a bit of a lightning bulb for me. The questions are, when was the last time I ate? How did I sleep the night before? Am I stressed about money? When's the last time I had a couple of hours of alone time? When did I last have sex? When's the last time I exercised? Have I been getting enough writing time? Have I been social with my friends? There's a good chance that if you're answering no to most of those questions, obviously your needs are not being met and that's where the rage is potentially coming from. Yeah, but it's it's such an easy question to ask yourself, yeah, yeah. but then it's like how do you fix it? Yes. Like if I'm, I'm like I desperately need to do – like I combine exercise and um, alone time. So if I'm doing a Pilates class, I'm like, I just, I need to get there. Yeah. But then it's, it, it seems really easy, like it's 60 minutes, but yeah. you have to actually go to all this effort of organizing it. You do. But I guess if you identify what you need, then maybe we are better at finding the yeah, time yeah, yeah. for it. Yep. So these questions are so important and I'm going to start assessing that myself next time I fly off the handle at my partner or feel really angry towards Ray and drop him on the couch. <laughs> I cringe at that cup filler saying, but the notion that you can't pour from an empty cup really resonates with me when it comes to this article. Yeah. I've never really thought about mum rage being so connected to what you're missing and what you're lacking. She finishes, part of inviting my rage to tea, which is adorable, is about healing my perfectionism and the hateful ways I treat myself when I don't hit that perfect mother bar. If I pull back the curtains on my rage, poke around and locate my needs, fears and hurt places, I understand myself better. I witness my vulnerability and am able to offer myself compassion. With this additional access to empathy, I don't pounce on myself as quickly. Instead, I practice my mothering skills. Whoops, there's that rage popping up again. Let's see if I can give myself what I need. By inviting my rage to tea, I'm doing what I need most. I am mothering myself. Oh, that's beautiful, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. And it is so relevant. Maybe one thing I can <laughs> sit back and reflect on is the next time I go to scream at my children, well, not scream, but, you know. A raised stern, tone. Stern words. Actually, to be honest, for me, whispering is the only thing that works. I'm not even like joking. I can't hear you. No, now. seriously. I screamed at Sienna. I'm like, stop that, put that down. Yeah. And then she looks at me and either laughs, yeah. which I'm like, that is psychotic. That's, that's disrespectful. <laughs> or she'll elevate, like, yeah. it'll get higher and higher and higher. Yeah. So often I have to get down to her level and be like, don't do that again. And it, I can tell she's freaked out. She's like, why are you so quiet? <laughs> anyway, maybe the next time I find myself in that situation, I should take a step back, decompress. And focus on like what is the outcome that I want to achieve in terms of what do I need? And yes. if that's downtime, just have it in the back of my mind like, okay, I'm going to book something in. So simple but presented in a way that I never would have considered. 
Loz, I recently read that postnatal depletion affects over 50% of mothers and the effects of it can last for up to 10 years after giving birth. Gosh, that's a long time. No wonder we're so tired. What many new mothers don't know is that if they don't replete and recover from the early phase of motherhood, they will feel the effects for years to come. I'm 18 months postpartum now and I think postnatal depletion really kicked into gear for me around the six-month mark. When do you think that sense of depletion really began to hit you? I think for me it was later. It was around the eight-month mark. It's such an important topic. When mother and founder of the 10th Co, Frida Algars, completed tests with Dr. Oscar Serilach, her results showed significant depletion in key vitamins and minerals. This led to a whole host of things. Digestion challenges, low mood and anxiety, lack of sleep, skin breakouts, and the list goes on. She was so compelled by what she found that she created a supplement with Dr. Serilach that works to relieve fatigue, assist energy production, calm the mind and support healthy mood balance. What I love about what Frida is doing through the 10th Co is her conversations around the fact that just because postnatal depletion is common, it doesn't mean that it's normal. There are so many things in motherhood and postpartum that we brush to the side because we're busy and we think it's normal, but the 10th Co's message serves as an important reminder to rethink the way we look after ourselves in motherhood. Anything that is intelligently made and serves a purpose for mothers, especially those trying to navigate work alongside their parenting, is a big yes for me. And me. You can shop the 10th Co's top-rated product, Flow State, and learn all about the burnout that led to the creation of this incredible product by visiting thetenthco.com. Listeners of Witching Hour will also receive $15 off using code FEELCALM through Witching Hour at checkout. Goodbye, girl boss. Hello, snail girl. Why a concept prioritizing slowing down is resonating with professionals. There's been a lot of content going around lately about lazy girls and snail girls and the idea of reversing what we think of as the norm in our 20s, which is hustling, working hard, not sleeping, probably partying hard on the weekends, and instead prioritising ourselves more. Obviously, with a cost of living crisis, this isn't possible for everyone and at all times. But for some, with a few spending changes and a few habit changes, dropping from five days to four days would be possible. So this ABC article explains how some women are pulling back to four days. For many young professionals in their 20s, working long hours and hustling is accepted as the norm. But at 28, Jennifer Crowney decided that that wasn't for her and decided to drop back to four days a week. It's a decision, she says, was met with initial confusion. I remember having a conversation with my boss, she says, who looked at me really oddly and said, but you don't have kids. I was just about to say that. Yeah. I was literally going to ask the same thing. Does she have children? No, she doesn't. So Mm. she's really breaking like a cultural norm. The idea that you go part-time is related to parenthood, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But she adds that it was the best decision she made and allowed her time to focus on other creative pursuits. Most jobs aren't worth your mental well-being or your overall health, she says. You should be able to take a lunch break and be able to leave on time. The pandemic was certainly a tipping point for many people to take stock and reconsider what work meant for them and if they needed to make a change. And this is actually proven in stats. So the number of people deciding to change careers was at its highest level since 2012, earlier this year, as in 2023, with about 1.3 million people making this leap, according to the ABS. Jennifer Luke, a researcher at the University of Southern Queensland, specialises in career development and meaningful work. She said the snail girl concept doesn't come as a surprise to her, following years of shifts in how individuals view their career ambitions. It all comes back to the fact that people are getting burnt out, she says. 
They're asking themselves, I'm running myself into the ground and I'm not actually sure why. I find it really fascinating that people are doing this pre-parenthood because I think that's the first time COVID definitely gave me moments of like, what is this all for? And you know what I mean? Yeah. We all slowed down. Yeah. But I don't think anything other than motherhood would change how I actually worked. Do you think that you would have like just Absolutely let's pretend, not. Yeah. I would say in your 20s, if you don't have children, you're at the peak of your career as a female. Not yeah. the peak, but like you're at your fullest earning capacity if you don't have children. Yes. You can work five days easily. And I always saw motherhood as sort of, which I don't think of it at as anymore but in a sense it's like that cliff of like work hard work hard work hard because then you're going to go on Mount Lake. Well there's other factors to consider so your children you might have a sick child you might have a child with learning difficulties you might not want to have to pay daycare there's a lot of other things to take into consideration Mm. whereas when you are childless um, in your 20s I reckon that's that's the time to put your foot on the pedal like go for it like I'm not saying work yourself to the core or grind yourself to the bone or whatever the saying might be, but I am saying like you don't have those other responsibilities. Like yeah. shove that money in your super, earn oh, as much as you really possibly can point. and start saving. Funny thing about this is too, while I understand that she went down to four days a week, she actually spent that fifth day a week writing a book. So I'm like these people that are saying that they're slowing down, are they really or are they well, just switching no, gears? they're because just doing other endeavours. Exactly. And the other thing I'd say is don't forget four days a week is a 20% pay cut. Every day you do not work is 20% less pay. That is significant. Especially without oh god we could talk about these economic times so much but how now that you say that that you put a figure of 20 percent, like i can't imagine being able to afford to do that well if you lived at home yeah that's and you're true. in your 20s and you didn't have a mortgage children mm. you're not paying your health insurance yeah. maybe maybe your parents yeah. i don't know whatever the goal is yeah. you've got a lot of extra disposable income so maybe you're in the frame of mind that like oh Actually, I wouldn't mind yeah. dropping back a bit, and I not guess- stressing myself out. But I just feel like personally, mm. I know this is like a strong opinion, it's just a wrong time in your life to do that. Yeah, I guess if there were some mental health considerations oh. to be made, that obviously changes things. Yes. But if you're just sort of entering snail girl era because you saw it on TikTok, you feel like you're, it. Not, you're not into that. No, I'm not. I'm actually not. I love it. Stay all. strong, sister. <laughs> Let's talk breastfeeding and returning to work. How many of our Ready or Not community or what percentage of our Ready or Not community were still breastfeeding when they returned to paid work, do you think? 30, 30%. 74% still. That's a lot. Okay. Actually, maybe I hadn't, yeah, no, that makes sense because I feel like some people might have to return, a lot of people actually would have to return before that 12-month period financially and maybe just for their own mental stimulation. I certainly did. Um. And I always forget about that morning and night feed. Like, they're just easy. What percentage of people do you think said that returning to work impacted their breastfeeding journey? I'm going to say a low percentage. 20? Not far off. So 33% said yes, that it definitely did. Mm -hmm. 20% said it did a bit. And 47% said it didn't. So that's probably what I – there's probably nothing too wild in that for me. Nothing too wild. Again, I would say that by the time you're going back to work or like if you're actively planning it, you're probably thinking of keeping those two top and tail feeds. And so you've probably weaned throughout the day Mm. and those are the easy feeds. Mm. 
How old do you think most people's babies were when they returned to work? So the categories are zero to six months, six to 12 months, 12 to 18, 18 plus. Six to 12. Yes. So that is over half of the poll. So 57% returned to work between six and 12 months, 19% zero to six months, 23% 12 to 18 months, and only 1% returned 18 months plus. I also, sorry, a bit of footsies <laughs> under the table. I also asked people about their workplace and if they offered any support and how supportive they were. On breastfeeding? Yes. Mm-hmm. What percentage do you think said super supportive? Um, so low, 5%. I was really surprised. I would have said the same as you, 47%. Wow. That's pretty good. As in, we always want it better, obviously, but yeah. I had low standards for yeah, that. Yeah, so did I, actually. Yeah, like as we still think, live in a pretty male-dominated world. Yeah, I think a lot of places, though, have breastfeeding rooms or designated areas or some. Which is key, isn't it? Because yeah. it's about that privacy and comfort piece, mostly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But above, like, this sounds awful, but like above and beyond that. Yeah. What else is there? Maybe our expectations are low. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And then 29% said a little bit, but not enough. And 24% said not at all. I honestly thought that not at all would be at least half. Yes, so did I. So pleasant surprise. Can always do better, but pleasant surprise. This is a big one. With hindsight, what advice would you give to a friend returning to work who wanted to continue their feeding journey? So here's some of the best responses to that. Before you go on mat leave, have a conversation and discuss your needs, comfy area, breaks, etc. Be unapologetic and invest in a good fast pump. That seems to be a really, really common tip. Yeah. Hands-free pump was a game changer. meant I could still work while pumping. I'm almost in disbelief that so many people have all these cord pumps still. Same. Or ones that you have to hold there yourself. Oh, my God. Because there's cost-effective ones on the market, aren't there? Absolutely. Yeah, get the hands-free. Even if you're just at home and you're – Pottering around. Postpartum. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be holding that thing. No. Nah. Ask your workplace for what you need when discussing your return to work. If it's additional breaks, a space to pump, etc. That's a really good one. I wouldn't say ask. I would almost tell. I agree. Not in a, I don't mean in like a, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Yeah. But I would be like, oh, look, I'm just letting you know that this I've, is what I need. I've blocked out a couple of times in my calendar. I'll be pumping mm. at those times. So, Especially if your boss had not been through that. Like you're literally telling them because you're educating them. Also, on what so they don't I think know. it's almost more awkward to have that conversation and say, mm-hmm. "Hey, would would you mind if?" Yeah, like, yeah, I agree. Tell, like, yeah, I would not say in tell. a as you say, domineering. Like, I need this. No, just way, be really polite and be them. like, "Look, during the day, I've got to express. There might be times I'm un- unavailable to attend a meeting, or I might be fifteen minutes late, or yeah, whatever." In line with that, this person says, "Ask what we need rather than telling us what you think we need," which I think is a really good one. Oh, I love this tip. This is more sort of aesthetic or I don't know what you'd call this tip, but Mm. this person said, I got myself a new bag so I didn't feel like a bag lady. Everything was concealed. I think that's a really good one. If you work with people that you're not extremely close to or you work in a really big office, it can feel a bit gross taking in like a daggy breastfeeding bag and you just feel a little bit exposed and you can already feel a bit vulnerable at that time. So buy yourself a nice return to work bag. That's an awesome tip. doesn't have to be expensive. But something that just feels a little bit non-mummy. And the most common challenge was bottle refusal in the lead up to return to work. So oh, we I've have had some- so many oh. friends go through this. Bottle refusal is very, very stressful. And we actually have something on that topic coming out very soon. We do. And it's a ripper. It's so good. It's it is so order. Yeah. It's so common though. I think one of the things that people ask the most is, what happens if my baby doesn't take a bottle or yes. – 
in my case and your case, my son in particular took a bottle and then refused that brand and then I moved Mm. to a different brand. Yeah. Ray took a bottle early because he needed one in special care and then at about four months, I think, because the feed started drawing out, Hayden no longer did bottles to help me type thing. And then he started bloody refusing. Yeah, but we've learned so, so much about this. We've learned so much about this. So keep so your eyes peeled because this. we've got some really bloody exciting stuff coming out that I think you're going to love. If you're returning to work, you're newly returning to work and you're still breastfeeding, it's a ripper. You're going to love it. We're wrapping up now after we give a tip each because we can hear that our darling little Xavier has started to rise. Yeah. Loz. What's good? Give me a tip. My tip is keep a, I don't know what to call it, like a a brag book or a little brag file or a little, just put it in your notes when you're at work. If you've made a, if you've achieved something, if you've done really well at something, write it down because so many times, particularly when you're advocating for yourself for salary, what I think I mean, in my experience, what has worked the best is what value you've brought or what value you're adding. Yeah. So and that you always forget. You always bloody forget. Yeah. So as you do it, if someone's like, great, great suggestion there, Loz, yeah. or amazing work, Lou, loved it. Ask questions that are quantifiable. So for example, if you run a campaign, if you're a marketer and you run a campaign and the company's like, oh, it was so successful. I mean, if you're heading it up and you know the objectives and goals and results, then mm. include those. Mm. But if you don't ask your manager, what did that achieve? Like how much revenue did we get from that campaign or how many sales did we have or how many leads, whatever it might be, see if you can quantify it and write it down as a tidbit for yourself. I find quantifying achievements incredibly hard. I love that tip. That's a goodie. Mine's less of a tip and more of a moment of solidarity for anyone currently in their first trimester and that is HG aside because obviously that can last a whole pregnancy. I just want to say that until 16 weeks pregnant, I felt absolutely terrible physically and it started to affect me mentally too. And now at 23 weeks, yeah, I'm a bit tired. I'm a little bit sore. I'm You're growing. glowing. Oh, thanks. You I said growing glowing. just so everyone doesn't think that I said yeah. I'm glowing. No. <laughs> I just wanted to let those people know that hopefully in your case it gets better like it has for me. I have heaps of energy this this trimester, getting a lot of work done, hardly got any done in the first trimester. So forgive yourself, write it out. It sucks. You will feel better, I promise. And Loz, on that very wise note from me, we're done for the day. We are done. So if you enjoy today's episode, please like or follow. Is that what it's called? Uh, I think we just call it a follow. A follow. Mm. A follow. Jeez, I sound old. Leave us a review and follow us on Ready or Not. And like us on Instagram. (laughs) See you next week.